G'day and welcome to Overdrive, a program that samples as much as it can of the experiences of cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have some road tests. The petrol versions of the Hyundai Kona are good vehicles but with Alan Service we discuss the reasons why the Kona Electric feels significantly superior. And we highlight the emotional excitement from driving a supercharged V8 Jaguar sports car, the F-Type. And in our interview, the CES show, that's the Consumer Electronics Show, has just concluded in Las Vegas. We list some of the car company's vehicles on display, but also the mobility options, such as a motorised pram and shoes that can help you walk three times as fast. With Brian Smith, we discuss whether these have any legs. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or the socials, podcast, Facebook, Instagram or YouTube. Just look for Cars, Transport, Culture. This program was originally broadcast on the 27th of January 2024. Previously, we went on the launch of the new Hyundai Kona, which was the internal combustion engines. They have now released their electric vehicle. And Alan Zervis and I have had a bit of a pedal of that particular model. Alan joins us on the line now. Alan, was it a case of taking a nice little car and really adding something much more to it with the electric vehicle? I think it was, David. I think it was. It felt far more expensive than what it actually was. The internal combustion engine, you're in a relatively smallish sort of car. You rev it out and the engine makes a bit of noise and all that. It's got a pretty good response to it, but it's it's not earth shattering, nor would you expect it to be. But when you put in those features of the electric vehicle, the immense quietness, the instantaneous acceleration, the great acceleration, I think it just elevates a car from a good runabout to a one with with great feeling and character. They're both front-wheel drive, of course. The 99-kilowatt base model feels plenty. That's a smaller battery. It is a smaller battery. So, you know, you do have to charge it more frequently. The small battery gets about 370 kilometres range and the large battery gets about 505 unless you go for the 19-inch wheels. Isn't that crazy? And then it drops by 60 kilometres range. And I presume the 19-inch wheels are low, more low-profile tyres, so uh, that's a disadvantage to my mind. Maybe a little better handling, but not as good over the bumps. That's right. Well, the other thing is that you can't option the wheels. So the wheels on the model are whatever the wheels you're delivered with. You can't say on the 19-inch model, I want 17-inch wheels. I would have thought it would have made, because there's a substantial difference, 60 kilometres could mean the difference between, you know, finishing your trip on Shanks's pony. Tell them the price, son. This is another thing, David, and I'm glad you mentioned it. The base model 48.6 kilowatt hour, 99 kilowatt motor model is $54,000, and this is before on-roads. Then you move up to the extended range one, and it adds 
a substantial amount of money and a, a substantial amount of weight. The battery is 64.8 kilowatt hours and the motor is 150 kilowatts also through the front wheels, but it's $58,000. And all you've done is add a little bit of extra range and uh, what, uh, six, uh, 51 kilowatts. If you then move to the premium, and this is where I've got a bit of a problem with it, it's $68,000. Now, you've just been on Hyundai's public site, and the drive-away price, David, is? $73,600. That's in New South Wales. It can vary $1,000 or more, depending on which state you're in. The first thing I said to you when you told me that off-air was, well, David, that's in the price of a Tesla. You could get a Model Y for that. What was your immediate response when you made that conclusion? It sounds a little cruel, but who in their right mind would buy a, a Hyundai or a Kia or you know whatever when you could buy a Tesla? I would. Uh, well, I, I think you'd be on your own. Yeah, let me say a couple of things. One is that the Kona is a very well-built vehicle. Two, at Hyundai and that have been building well-built vehicles now for quite some considerable time. And thirdly, Tesla has what I, I hate in terms of the machine-human interface, where it's only the screen in the centre of the car that you've got to keep looking at. Now, there's a couple of things about the Kona that annoy me, but in terms of safety and, and of course, the top of the range ones has a head-up display. Absolutely. Takes that a step further in terms of the right information in front of you at the right level of which the Tesla fails badly. You would say take the Tesla mainly on image. Yes, but it does feel more premium. Now, whether or not it actually is, I don't know. Now, it's a rear-wheel drive too, car. Remember, they've, uh, they've changed from front-wheel drive to rear-wheel drive. It's drive away from 70,841 with the top of the range one at 84,387. Top of the range is more expensive then. Yeah, yeah, but it's a Tesla. So you've okay. also got access to the Tesla charging network. Ah, yes, yes. Now you see that opens up a whole bunch of stuff. Those alleged road trips that everybody does, uh, all of a sudden you can use a Tesla supercharger. But of course- the Kona is limited to 100 kilowatt charging anyway. Yes, I, that is a limitation. I hear your point. Well, David, there's another thing that I think you should consider as well. Are you considering this? I'm writing it down now, Alan. The top model also overlaps with the bottom model of Ionic 5. Okay. So the Ionic 5 has uh, the infrastructure that can cope with uh, the high-speed 350 kilowatt charging is a much bigger car and, frankly, much nicer to drive than a Model Y. Now, if you said for the same price you can get a Model Y or an Ionic 5, I'd take the Ionic 5. I understand and I support your choice. Oh, bless you and all who sail in you. Had ugly at the back, the Kona. Ah, look, I'm not overly in love with it at the front either, but I think after a little while, after driving that beautiful, quiet, uh, very well-handling, beautifully riding EV for more than an hour or two, suddenly it becomes more attractive, David. It's like being in a bar at uh, one o'clock in the morning. Suddenly everybody looks attractive. But I think some of the other things that it does well, it does very, very well. And that is that the space in it is really extraordinary. And it is up now against some stiff competition from the Chinese cars. 
that aura that we drove, it's $40,000. This is the Great Wall Motors aura. It looks like a little noddy car to some degree, but it has great functionality. Mm. Alan, very, very briefly, uh, you're getting out of a Hyundai. You've just hopped into something a little different. David, it's a car that would make Austin Powers blush. It is a Shaguar F-Type. This is the last run, really, of them, isn't it? It's probably the last time that I'll get uh, ever get a chance to drive a brand new one. They are stopping manufacture of petrol-engined sports cars and, in fact, internal combustion engine sports cars forever. The F-Type is, of course, the one that follows in the heritage of the E-Type, a glorious Modern, though, uh, design with the little cues from the E-Type. Did it have the power to justify the brand? David, it makes an E-Type looks like it's camping. It is so powerful. It's a five-litre supercharged V8 with 331 kilowatts, a beautiful eight-speed automatic. You put your foot down in it and the tail, because it's only rear-wheel drive, gets a little untidy because it weighs about the same as a pair of trousers. (laughs) Camping. The thing about it was the colour scheme. How would you describe that to us? Absolutely beautiful. It's this deep, olivey, metallic olivey green, which sounds absolutely vile, but it is beautiful. And it's got this dark tan leather upholstery. It looks like something that you would choose for yourself, like it's something that you would never want to resell. And that's how I feel when I'm driving it. It's got a black fabric roof that folds away in a few seconds, up to 40 kilometres an hour. So, you know, you pull over as it did the other day when I went down to Picton. It started to rain a bit, so I could pull over into the slip lane. I had no choice. And uh, as I got to the uh, emergency phone area, I could start putting the the roof up. And by the time I reached the other side again, I could blat it out the other side. It looks wonderful with the roof down and the colour scheme, the rich colour, as you say, of that brown leather is as part of it. It really does stand out. Without the top on it, it shows it for what it really is. It's an absolute symphony. It's one of those things where all of the players know what the notes are. It is just amazing. Now, of course, what was supposed to follow on from the E-Type was the XJS, which in my mind was um, a little bit of a half-hearted attempt. And even the convertible one, the later convertible one of that, never quite had that same gravitas. This is a fantastic end to Jaguar convertibles in internal combustion engines, and that engine is as sweet as an art. Alan, I think that many people envy you the situation you're in at the moment, but uh, given that uh, it's doing it purely for the work and uh, the uh, not just the honour but the privilege of being able to express the joy of motoring, and I thank you very much for your time. Thanks, David, as always. Take care. And that's Alan Service from GayCarboys.com, who's driven both the electric Hyundai and the glorious F-Type Jaguar sports car. This is Overdrive across Australia. Each year they have the Consumer Electronics Show, that's what it was called, now abbreviated to CES, 
that allows it to be a little broader in its context held every year in Las Vegas. And it showcases a lot of new technology, particularly electronic-driven technology, not surprisingly. But it has started to take over from car shows. And the car companies do like to make their presence felt there. That shows that it's not just rev heads in the old style. It's companies that are prepared to adapt to new future scenarios. And to talk about that, I have on the line our good friend, Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. Hello, David. I'll just run through a few of the things that they had there. Honda, they had probably very interestingly a new O-series saloon, efficiency, engagement and practicality. It's fundamentally an SUV, but with a little bit more shape to it. Kia had their vans or EVs. Mullen had a Tesla competitor that has a 1,000 horsepower and a top speed of 200 miles per hour. Vinfast had an electric pickup truck. Sony and Honda are working together, and they've got a new version of their Alfila EV saloon. Now, Brian, there's an interesting point here because in some ways it goes backwards. I don't mean reverse. I mean in terms of technology. The side view cameras, which we now see in things like Genesis and some Hyundais, have been replaced with conventional mirrors. So it's not necessarily one that takes on technology just for the sake of it. It's good to see, David, because that's one of my gripes about technology developments is they're offering often solving a problem that doesn't really exist. Electronic side mirrors is one of those weird things that you go, well, you've got a perfectly good sort of static system that doesn't require any smarts. It's a piece of polished glass and it works pretty good. So I think something like an electronic mirror just has so many things that can go wrong, given that, you know, the world's spider population seems to be taking up residence in my mirrors. So I don't know what would happen if they were fully (laughs) electronic. David, window winders as well. I think the weight involved in the motors for, for windows, electric windows, I think would be saved if we just went back to winders. So it's good to see them focusing on stuff that might actually make a difference. It might be incidental exercise by doing window oh, winders. In yes. fact, I parked behind an old Hyundai where the guy got out and wound up his window as a great effort. But then again, he looked like he could need a little bit of exercise. Flying vehicles also made there. Hyundai have an SA2, which is a, an electronic vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, an alternative form to taxis in dense cities, they say. And there is, you'll love this one, the Xping Chinese firm, Xpen, aviation arm of Aero HT. They're going to begin production of their land aircraft carrier this year. It's actually two vehicles in one, a six-wheeler electric van that hosts an electric helicopter. But I've got to say, the van is very much designed on the Tesla Cybertruck style. Very flat-sided and angular parts to it. Not one that I would necessarily find appealing. I don't know, David. I think Thunderbirds did this back in the 60s (laughs) with the puppets. I think um, the sort of small drone, human drone aviation or cars that fly kind of thing is like a massive dead end, a a big box canyon that a lot of manufacturers are, are sort of forcing their way down. And I think they'll get to the point where... They will realise, well, you know, again, most of our 
problems in cities won't be solved by having a few tons of electronics and machinery flying around us, potentially crashing down among us. Particularly if it's for the elite just to go to the airport. Yes, yes, yes. I think it's very wasteful, a wasteful thing. Drones, some drones, I think, may have some application in remote and rural areas, not for carrying people, but for carrying goods, I think. But I'm always dismayed when I see everyone trying desperately to to make uh, flying drones for carrying humans around the city. They could be for specialist cargo and maybe even like a transplanting heart. And if you were to carry people, maybe the best thing would be an ambulance. Yeah, yeah. You could just get them to the hospital on time. Yeah, well, I mean, helicopters, uh, you know, we need to be very careful about helicopters around cities. And, you know, most helicopter flight paths are rivers for very good reasons that we don't want them flying over sort of uh, built up areas very much. And then, well, the question is, do these things have flight paths or do they, will they navigate themselves their own way around buildings and what level will they be at and how close can they go to an airport? It just seems a silly um a silly exercise to me. My colleague, the late uh, departed uh, Gary O'Callaghan, knew police forces very well and uh, was a great supporter of the honour of police forces. And he went to Los Angeles and they flew around in a helicopter actually over the top of a street between buildings. There he was looking out into the building. But he also kept hearing this ping, ping noise. When he got down, he said, what was that? And they said, oh, people shooting at us. <laughs> Yes. They had a special undercarriage that uh, was resistant. Now, a number of car companies obviously want to fly the flag of being modern and and up there with development, but they haven't got an EV necessarily to show BMW. They added an augmented reality glasses that you could wear while driving to see things like navigation commands projected onto the field of vision ahead of you. I've yet to see uh, whether that's going to be more distraction than other. Volkswagen had their eight and a half facelifted generation of their Golf. That's about as that we haven't got much to show you, really, isn't it? And it includes things like backlighting of the heater controls. That's good, really, isn't it? <laughs> and Mercedes Benz have featured more things for their inter- infotainment software. There were others around, Mobileye and Lumina, the, the technology for autonomous driving. We have our, our views on that. And uh, Microsoft's Opal AI service, which will underpin the onboard digital assistant. Now, the digital assistant, I think, needs to be considered very closely, but we'll talk about that with various cars over the time. The f- final thing is that we're not just about cars. It's about mobility. And here, Brian, a couple of crazy things, was it? Uh, what was the stroller? What have they got for that? Oh, David, this is astounding. So, so speaking again of a of potentially a problem that doesn't need to be solved is uh, a Canadian company called Glookskind has made an electric stroller with uh, AI features. And, and the idea is that, that it uh, allows you to push the stroller. I think it, it augments your pushing and sort of uses an electric motor and batteries to drive it to climb hills. And it can also apply brakes automatically so that inverted commas sleep deprived parents essentially have driver assist on a daily basis so i'm not sure what they think people are doing with these things can you fit this in a car david if it folds up Ah. it's got electric motors and a massive battery anyway it's one of these silly things i actually saw someone else promoting an autonomous stroller where you just walk behind it and it drives itself i just david i don't know they started that with golf 
buggy. Didn't they? Not not the full buggy, but uh, you know the, uh, the, the, the the thing that will take your golf the sticks. Club. Yeah, the sticks, and it will follow you. You clip something on the back of your belt, and it it follows you around. Now, can I say, Brian, as a grandparent who's struggled to push a pram up the steep hills around Balmain, actually the idea of augmenting some of those things might be rather interesting. I totally agree. It wouldn't represent a general one that you could take anywhere because it would be cumbersome to move, unless, of course, you keep towing your trailer around with you, which I think defeats the purpose. The other one is, of course, and this is something you've dabbled in in a way, of being able to carry groceries. Yes. So instead of having to drive to the shops, I could walk to the shops with a basically a, a tub behind me that I could put my grocery in. I thought about this when I saw an adult going along and pulling two kids sitting in this small bathtub type of a shape. Oh, yes, I've seen these, yes. No, and I think a, a, a motorised shopping cart might be a kind of neat idea. It doesn't need to be sort of autonomous to bring your groceries home, no, but to no. help carry your stuff. My wife, uh, when our babies were small, she would packed like kilos upon kilo of shopping in and around the stroller. So underneath it, hanging off the sort of the structure of it. So this thing would be groaning with the child and, and all of the, <laughs> the stuff in it and, and quite heavy. So, yeah, I could see the, the benefit there. But, of course, the battery has to go somewhere. Is it going to be under the child? Will it be in the framework of the stroller? And does this mean you, in the version that I could see, it seems to have a gigantic motor and um, not really very much space in the oh. bottom to to put groceries. But David, the the old shopping bag that, that I can't mm. even remember what they're called that that uh, you know we carried to the shops when I was a kid, the kind of little trolley thing that that having that motorised might be a good idea. The lady next door, God rest her soul, she died about a year ago, but she up until the age of eighty five used to walk to the shops. But, of course, she was dragging a trolley like that. And to, to a degree, that meant that she had to do it quite often because she couldn't carry a lot. So yes. there is a balance. And I think there's an opportunity. Now, Brian, you actually dabbled in that area by having an electric bike with a cargo bin on the front of it. That's true. We, it's, uh, we have a bicycle that's kind of like a tricycle, but the two wheels are at the front. And it's made by a local Australian a Sydney cider called uh, Cranky. And uh, yeah, it, has a, it has a great tub at the front and it can carry small children. So it carried my son in the front when he was small and I'd, I'd take him to swimming in it. Or I'd also carry heavy groceries in it. So I sometimes have to buy dog food and the like and I could uh, carry sort of a 20 kilo bag of dog food and tins of other things in this front. Electric assistance, very good wide it's a meter wide which um you know a lot of bicycle infrastructure is not made for something that wide but yes something like that makes a huge difference instead of having to take the car i can uh, i can ride my bicycle and get a little bit of exercise did you ride it down the streets yes yes not on the footpath no not on the footpath it's actually it needs maneuvering space and it's big enough to sort of take its place in the traffic flow so it's it has a presence and it's bright orange and people see it. So, yeah, I, I ride it on the streets. And David, you mentioned mobility and the need for helping people with mobility. Another CES product that was under on display was a company called Shift Robotics, 
who've created something that they call Moonwalker Shoes. David, these are kind of like a set of skates that you tie to your your shoes, but they, they're not really skates. They've got little electric motors and servos in them, and they allow you to walk up to three times faster, basically walk at running speed. And um, a series of wheels and straps hold the thing to the to your shoes, and basically you just walk in it, and they, they zoom you along. They make you walk so much quicker. So this is the sort of idea, I think, David, that that's worth pursuing and thinking about because – so many of these tech innovations seem to replace walking. You remember the Segway, David, a, a ridiculous device that really just replaced walking. Many scooters and may, many e-cycles are really taking people off their feet. Something like this, I think, is is a great idea because it might allow someone who wants to move quickly through the streets or, or walk a solid distance to work to be able to do that uh, with a lot less effort but also to people like your neighbour with mobility impairments could well find themselves more easily able to climb hills and, and carry um, uh, yeah, carry groceries and the like. So I, I think it's a great idea. I'm not so worried about the three times faster. I am not worried, but uh, supportive of that point you're making that we might well be able to help people where going up a hill becomes, as one gets older, a great barrier. Of course, you might say, well, exercise is good. But I think then in both the cases, whether it be the pram or, or the shopping trolley, all these things, is that it's not pushing speed differential. Oh, yes. Because if you look at things like scooters and electric bikes, and we know that you're not allowed to have an electric motor too big on a bike, and we know people are hotting them up, and we know that their kids are zooming along uh, you know, through uh, shopping areas on uh, motorised uh, uh, um, scooters and things. So I, I, and I, uh, even on the open road, the issue of speed differential is enormous. And so it does what you were saying, that it doesn't take away from some effort and it certainly doesn't create a difference between those who are walking and those who are on a, an electrified device. You're exactly right, David. It, it, um, it's compatible with the footpath. Um, you mm. know, in cities, we often struggle with what we call the third mode. You're walking on a footpath you're driving on the road and, you know, these more vulnerable scooters and electric bicycles, where's their space? Hmm. You know, are they in a cycleway? How do you how do you provide space for them where you're separating it from other vulnerable modes and separating what is a vulnerable mode away from heavy vehicles? So, so something like this is just walking slightly faster, right? So you're exactly right. You, you're not having this massive speed differential, which can create conflicts and, and injuries. I think it's a it's certainly something I'm going to keep an eye on. They uh, they say they're they're already selling them, and there's nothing to see about the price. But but I like the concept, David. I think the more we can do to make it easy for people to walk around cities, the better. What that is pushing us towards too, sorry, not pushing, but facilitating us towards is making a more walkable city, making more local trips rather than if driving them. Because if I say, well, I'm going to have to drive to put stuff in the boot, the, the groceries in the boot, well, I might as well drive 10 kilometres as five or more. 
oh, I might as well go further, whereas at walking speed, you get a much better sense of your local community, you're mm. less invasive into it, it's obviously less pollution that we've been getting from internal combustion engines. So it ties in with broader concepts of urban planning. Indeed. Brian, lovely to talk to you. I appreciate that greatly. And it is not just one to reactive, or oh, I don't think I could do it or where it might be. Although it says you said they're, they're moonwalkers. Does that mean like Michael Jackson, I have to walk backwards? <laughs> No, you can go forward. It just looks like you're gliding. It's it's uh, some videos on the web. I'd encourage you to check them out. All right, I'll do that. Brian, thanks again. I appreciate your time. Thank you, David. And that's Brian Smith, who is a transport planner, international worked around uh, in a variety of places, working for a big uh, company, but he's doing it with information, thoughtfulness, a view to the future. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Alan Zervis, Brian Smith, Bruce Potter and Mark Wesley for their help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au and for links to the socials, look for Cars Transport Culture. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.